Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. It's an all-new edition of Talk of Champions. I've been Garrett at Spirit, been on Twitter. With me today is Nick Suss. He's the best. He's filling in for Bradley Sal. Covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Bradley Sal is out on assignment, the former Ole Miss offensive lineman. Eight-year NFL vet. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is Tim Elko, the two-time Ole Miss baseball team captain. He had a very special Swayze-filled moment over the weekend. I'm sure Nick and I will talk about that. He's coming up in just a little bit. Hey, buddy, what's up? How you doing? I am. I am doing good, buddy. I am walking around my living room sniffing a lavender and cedarwood candle because I know this is going to be a very soothing, calming show. <laughs> uh, is this show going to be what helps you get your steps in today? Is that what we're going for? Yeah, I, I, I love the exercise that comes with being a podcast and a radio guest, uh, and I'm glad I don't have any downstairs neighbors anymore. This weekend, a lot of things happened. Ole Miss baseball, the NFL draft, Let's go with the NFL draft to start because I want to do the lead in regards to Ole Miss baseball. It's hosting chances dramatically improved after sweeping South Carolina. But the NFL draft, Elijah Moore went in the second round to the New York Jets. Royce Newman went in the fourth round to the Green Bay Packers. Kenny Yeboah didn't get drafted, but actually got a really strong contract for an undrafted free agent. If you get past the sixth round, seventh round, you want to be undrafted. Because if you could be undrafted, you get to pick your spot like Bradley Sowell did. And he had a long eight-year NFL career. And Kenny Yeboah got a large guarantee. I think it was $180,000. I think a $200,000 in all contract guaranteed to him. So he has a really good chance of making the roster for the Jets. What was your reaction to seeing where Ole Miss Rebels went in the draft? Yeah, I, I can't say any of it surprised me. I thought it would go Elijah in the first or second, Royce in the fourth or fifth, and then Kenny, we would see. And it all kind of shook out that way. I, I think Royce actually probably went a little earlier than I would have expected. And I think that's a really good fit for him, the way that 
Matt LaFleur and the Packers run that offense and how it's deceptively run first, despite being such a quarterback heavy offense. And it'll fit the scheme Royce played under Kiffin, where you're downhill blocking a lot, downhill blocking, but you're also using tempo and playing a quicker offense. I think that's a good fit for him. Kenny, we, we shall see how, uh, how the fit works out with the Jets, but Elijah to the Jets, I, I'm sure you have opinions on this too. Fascinating fit given uh, Mike LaFleur, Matt's brother, the offensive coordinator for the Jets, and the offense he ran in San Francisco the last three years really heavily featured slot receivers. I like the fit from that vantage point. I just hate the Jets. And the Jets have been the most dysfunctional <laughs> organization in football for the last however many years. But now it's a completely new leaf. And yes, they're bringing over a San Francisco system that I think immediately Debo Samuel Brandon Ayuk, the numbers they put up out of the slot, and Elijah is a strictly slot receiver, and he caught 97% of catchable targets beyond the line of scrimmage in 2020. This is an elite receiver, an elite slot receiver. He produced 1,738 yards from the slot the last two years at Ole Miss, the most by far in college football, and he didn't drop a single one of his 25 red zone targets. I'm just shocked that he lasted to the second round because it seemed like 22 to 40 was always his range, but the Packers needed a wide receiver. Of course, they went cornerback. Even with all the drama with Aaron Rodgers, they went cornerback. Anyway, Elijah to the Packers made sense. Elijah to the Titans with A.J. Brown campaigning for him made sense. They have a need at slot receiver. The Jets is a good fit schematically, but because it's the Jets, I just immediately went, oh, God, not the Jets, not the Jets. And you and I talked about this last week, Ben, before the draft, it was all going to come down to which teams fell in love with which wide receivers. And I thought the giants had a really good draft moving back from 11 to 20 and they got the guy they apparently wanted in Kadarius Tony. And, and you can judge whether you think Tony or Elijah is a better slot option. Kadarius Tony obviously fills more of that running back receiver slot motion role that you saw from Oregon guys in the chip Kelly era. And maybe that's what the giants were looking for. Then at 27, I believe, you had Rashad Bateman go to the Ravens. And Rashad Bateman, the Ravens always wanted one of those bigger outside guys. It was always going to be Bateman or Terrace Marshall or something like that. And then everybody else waited until the second and third rounds for receivers. So Elijah went where we thought he would. It was just a matter of apparently the Titans and the Packers and all of the teams, the Jaguars teams that we thought in the 20 to 32 range might want receivers turned out they wanted their guys later the Ravens Elijah would be in a redundancy there so okay I got that one. absolutely but the Jaguars you never want to take first round running backs it's proven in the modern NFL it's just an absolutely sunk investment taking early round running backs the Cowboys my beloved Cowboys who I hate to love took Ezekiel Elliott fourth in 2016 and it's completely derailed their entire organization because they first of all let a generational cornerback in Jalen Ramsey go a pick after that, and then Derrick Henry, who they could have had in the second round, ended up being Jalen Smith, and now they're in cap hell, and they're not a very competitive football team. They've got the worst defense in their history, on and on and on. You don't take running backs early, and yet the Jags took Travis Etienne to pair with Trevor Lawrence rather than taking the slot receiver in Elijah Moore that would help him more. I'm going to add two caveats here. One will catch me some flack, but the, the first caveat, 
you don't draft a running back early unless it's your last piece of a rebuild. A right. running back yes. is a great luxury item, and that's kind of what the Cowboys thought they were doing, and it turns out they needed a lot more. Obviously, the Jags are not at the end of their rebuild. Rebuild, But, and here's the caveat that I know I shouldn't be saying on an Ole Miss fan podcast, I'd rather have Travis Etienne than Elijah Moore if I'm an NFL team. Travis Etienne's just the most spectacularly productive running back I've seen in the last 10 years of college football, and I expect him to be as spectacularly productive as a rusher and receiver. I, Christian McCaffrey notwithstanding, I haven't seen a running back do as much as well in college. He just didn't get tackled. People didn't know how to stop him uh, in space. He is a spectacular talent that I would have put in the same tier as an Ezekiel Elliott or a Todd Gurley or a Saquon Barkley of these running backs that we did see go top 10 within the last 10 years. But he falls to 25 where there's this natural fit where he gets to play with his college quarterback and they get to kind of resume the same principles. I defend that pick maybe more than I should because I agree with you that you look at when the Chargers drafted Melvin Gordon, or you look at even Saquon with the Giants or Zeke with the Cowboys. They haven't been the right moves at that time, but I will defend that Travis Etienne pick. I only bring it up because I think the Jaguars, as far as what they needed, now I don't think it's yeah. a hot take at all to say that Travis Etienne is a better prospect in terms of all-around ability and what he'll bring to a team than Elijah is. I just don't think the Jaguars made the right pick for what they were looking for or what they needed. But whatever, it's they make the decision. They pair the running back with this quarterback out of college. But Elijah falling to the Jets, he didn't have to wait long. It was only two more picks after the first round. So effectively, he was a first rounder. And he's going to be featured very heavily early on. I do think there were some better fits for him, some more ideal fits for him, specifically the Titans and the Packers. But I bring this up because I had an interesting conversation on Monday. Talking about the three big pieces that Ole Miss is losing on his offense – First, Elijah. Second, Royce Newman. Third, Kenny Yeboah. And obviously, Ole Miss has high expectations going into next year, has easily the top quarterback in the SEC and Matt Corral coming back. But there is a little bit tempering expectations because what they're having to replace, no small thing. We know Elijah's a big loss, and there's no one person or maybe even two people that will step in and do what he did in the slot. But Royce Newman going in the fourth, I think, provides a little bit of vindication for us that believe that Royce Newman is one of the better offensive linemen Ole Miss has had. And I know we can talk about Michael Orr, Laramie, obviously. Laramie's the best player to ever come through Ole Miss talent-wise. I'm just speaking of strictly offensive linemen and what they can do and the versatility that he has. The reason why he was valued so highly is because he can play both tackles, he can play both guards, and he repped at center in pre-draft. So... There is a little bit more that Royce Newman can do than your typical offensive lineman that's coming in. The versatility is what's important. And I look at this offensive line, and there's really only two tackles on this offensive line. Jeremy James and Nick Broker. And Nick Broker, ideally, is a guard because he would be an all-pro guard in the NFL. He's a left tackle in college, and he's a great one. But in a perfect world, he's just your monster mauling guard but Ole Miss just doesn't have tackles on his roster. So when you look ahead to next year, yes, Elijah Moore is impossible to replace, but you assume with Lane Kiffin and how he features the personnel that he has and the returning talent and the talent they signed, and you expect them to be pretty active in the transfer market, they're going to be able to at least compensate for that. It's not going to be one player taking over for Elijah Moore, but it'll be multiple players in many different ways taking over for Elijah Moore. That one's less of a hit 
and I don't want this to sound sacrilegious here, but it's less of a hit as far as what the team is going to be like next year, how it's going to be constructed, than Royce Newman. I look at Royce Newman and not having him and look at what they have at offensive line, and it's a concern. And now that you see him go in the fourth and knowing the versatility and what he offers as a player, it just, I think, makes it that much more obvious that he's going to be a bigger loss than people are crediting here. Side note before I get into that, because I want to talk about offensive line plays so badly, but uh, I found three way too early 2022 mock drafts that already have Nick Broker as a first round pick next year. I saw that too. So uh, there's a weird narrative that you hear in draft season of, well, is anybody a tackle? Because unless you're the number one tackle in the draft, everyone's saying, well, he might be better suited at guard. And then you think, well, there need to be 64 tackles in the NFL. Somebody has to be a tackle. And I think Nick Broker is a tackle. I respect your opinion that he should be a guard because he'd probably be really darn good at it. But I think he's a tackle at the next level. And I think the hype right now is justified or close to being justified. But when but it comes in, re- to in response to that, in response to that, real quick, because I know Go you ahead. get a lot of thoughts on this. Laramie Tunsil, who is most obviously a left tackle coming out of college, was put at guard to start in the NFL. It's just how it works most of the time. Now, Penny Sewell is not going to be a guard for the Lions. He's going to be a tackle. There are only a few guys for NFL teams, wrong or right, that no doubt slam dunk are going to start at tackle day one. And I don't think Nick Broker is necessarily viewed that way. But it doesn't matter. Because even if he's viewed as a guard slash tackle at the next level, he's a first-round, second-round talent right now. It doesn't matter where he lines up. Point being is that NFL teams, for some reason, you're right, when they look at offensive linemen coming out of college, go, oh, well, he's better suited for guard right now. Not really. I mean, Larry Tunsil, for Christ's sake, everybody knew when he got on campus at Ole Miss as a freshman, oh, my God. He'd go to the NFL right now, and they would take him and have him starting in a year or two. The talent is there, the build is there, the frame is there, the measurables, everything is there. But Nick, I don't think, has necessarily those kind of measurables So you go, oh, okay, well, he's no doubt a tackle day one. But it doesn't matter because the talent's still there. Anyway, go ahead. Fair enough. We're in agreement on that point. But to Royce, yeah, I think that right now, especially with what we saw with some injuries in the spring, is Ole Miss has four-fifths of an offensive line. And that's not too bad of a thing because most college football teams don't have five reliable offensive linemen. It's kind of like we're thinking about college baseball right now. Most teams don't have a Sunday starter. It's a luxury to have three reliable starters and it's a luxury to have five offensive linemen who you can count on every snap. And that's not in any way defending, Oh, it's okay to start a player who shouldn't be starting, but If you go into your fall camp knowing four of your five offensive linemen are trustworthy, that's that's a leg up on what what would you say eight out of fourteen SEC teams. And and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put a spin zone on this, but they need to find somebody who can play most likely that right guard position. And whether it's one of the something like nine offensive linemen that they've signed in the last two years, but none of them have really jumped up the depth chart to impress anybody yet, or whether it's a veteran who's been sitting behind for three years, like Royce was a couple of years ago. I don't know who it is yet. And we can throw out names. I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast can throw out names, but yeah, that's going to be a tough fit because I agree with your point that Elijah is going to be replaced by committee. And I agree with your point that Kenny's replacement is harder to answer. And I would go even further and say, Kenny's replacement doesn't actually matter as much. Cause if you look at what Kenny did after the Alabama game, the answer is really not that much. And I think that's something that 
NFL scouts probably saw that he got taken out of game plans a lot down the stretch before he opted out. Uh, He effectively played eight really good quarters of football last year. And Ole Miss still had a pretty darn good offense without him being a consistent factor. So receiver tight end, I think they will find ways to replicate production by committee. Offensive line, that's not really a position you can do that. You made a really good point because every time you watch the film, and I'm not pretending like I'm some type of expert or talent evaluator at all. I'm not. (laughs) No. But when you watch the film, and I heard this a lot in the build-up to the draft, the less and less impressive Kenny Yaboa becomes. And I don't mean that to knock the kid, because I think he's a good player and he's a good dude. But blocking-wise, he wasn't anything special. He didn't have breakaway speed. So what did he do really well? He caught the ball, which is what you got to do first as a tight end. But the other aspects of being an NFL tight end, once you watch the tape over and over and over, and NFL teams said this on this podcast countless times before. NFL teams are trying to come up with reasons not to draft you. Kenny Yabo put enough on tape. There were reasons why he fell, is what I'm saying. Yeah, even when it comes to catching the ball. First three games of the year, he averaged something like 102 receiving yards per game. Last five he played, he averaged 18. Like, even the thing he was best suited for, didn't catch a pass in that Arkansas loss, caught a couple of gimme touchdowns against Vanderbilt that kind of boosted his numbers back. And then South Carolina, he was a virtual Uh, non-factor. Whichever game I'm missing at between South Carolina and LSU State, he was uh, not the most valuable player. Uh, He's a really talented player, but his tape doesn't pop the way that you would think it does. Right. And and that's why I think Casey Kelly can do what Yeboah did last year. I think that if Hudson Wolf eventually becomes the player that he was touted to be out of high school and he can get healthy and all that stuff, he can do that. Or so anybody, not anybody, but anyone who is a highly recruited tight end prospect can probably replicate what Kenny did last year in the system that asks them to do that. Well, I wanted to start here because... We haven't done a recruit check in quite some time. And if you thought Ole Miss was done putting its roster together, if you thought that college football teams in general were done putting their rosters together, boy, were you wrong because the portal, as of today, May, what is it, third, fourth? As of today, the portal is popping. Bring it on. Recruit check. It is on. Check it out. Recruit Check brought to you by Modern Woodman. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our phone line sponsor, Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, is looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi, and what he's looking for is someone who's highly self-motivated and wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas directly through Facebook or his number at 662-296-0186. Ole Miss was involved with Jamison Williams. He's a wide receiver out of Ohio State. It came down to Ole Miss and Alabama, and Alabama won out. Shocker there. But it shows you what Ole Miss is targeting right now in the portal. Now remember, there are a couple of wide receivers that weren't on campus in the spring that will get here, including J.J. Henry, that is, like Elijah Moore, a strictly slot receiver. But there are other names maybe to pay attention to. Notre Dame wide receiver Jordan Johnson. He was formerly the number 37 overall prospect in 2020, five-star. He went into the portal. Who else went into the portal? UAB defensive tackle Tony Fair. 
56 tackles, seven tackles for loss over the last two years. Southern Miss O-lineman Douglas Garrity is in the portal. I don't know if that really helps with the whole third tackle problem, but anyway. And then other guys that have landed in different places, including Malcolm Epps, a tight end. Um, He left Texas and went to Southern Cal. There's a lot of names being entered in, a lot of guys that are leaving. Mississippi State's lost some wide receivers. Um, So if you look at what Ole Miss is, is going to be going for, and now that we've kind of parsed this out a little bit, what do you think the top areas they'll be targeting? We know wide receiver because they were just in on and arguably one of the most talented ones in the portal. So wide receivers up there. Is there anywhere else? Is tight end number two tackle, defensive tackle? I just look at a lot of guys entering the portal, and I go, oh, that makes sense for Ole Miss. And it's a number of positions, right? I'm not stopping at just tight end and offensive line and wide receiver. I go, oh, there's a linebacker. He led Texas in uh, tackles last year, and that was Jawan Mitchell, and now he's landed in Tennessee. But there's like a lot of guys that I go, oh, yeah, he would help. If I'm putting together like a Santa Claus wish list for this team, the four positions I want to address uh, in descending order. First is tight end for reasons we've talked about. Second, I think this team needs a fifth linebacker. I know Chance Campbell was one person that addressed that. I think they needed another because you're still looking at a team that has Lakia Henry gone after this year. Jaquez Jones likely gone after this year. Momo Sonogo has two degrees. If he comes back, I don't know what he's doing it for. And then Chance Campbell, who again could be gone after this year you need somebody who can theoretically be a bridge to whoever you recruit next year. Uh, I I would like if you're Ole Miss to go get a sophomore or junior linebacker to steady the room. So you don't have to start three freshmen in the future. Uh, third an edge rusher, just because I'm not super convinced that this team has a true sack guy. You keep waiting on Sam Williams to be that guy, but uh, Sam hasn't produced in last year. Tavius didn't produce, and I think Cedric Johnson can be that guy, but he's still a little bit raw. So I think getting somebody off the edge, if there's somebody available who's a good fit, could be that. And then you mentioned defensive tackle. I'm really just bringing this up because in the long list of players that you mentioned are in the portal, you didn't mention the exodus of defensive linemen from Auburn in the last week. Mm Mm-hmm multiple of whom are either from Mississippi or the surrounding areas. You think Jared like Handy. Jared Handy yeah. from Hattiesburg High, uh, who I think would be a huge contributor on this team because you hope that Taiwan Malone and Isaiah Eaton and Jamon Gordon can kind of fill the depth there, but there's no such thing as having too much depth at that position, which rotates so heavily. And I think if you can get a big guy who, especially like Handy, who Ole Miss was not super in on in recruiting, but he was a high school teammate of Snoop Connors and he's a home state kid, that would be somebody who I would target pretty heavily. Because one name immediately caught my eye, Minnesota senior defensive tackle Keontae Shad. Now, I have no idea what this kid is going to be looking for in the portal. Maybe he already knows because really good players, when they go to the portal, they already know where they're going. Tampering, just part of it. Only true crappy schools turn in other schools for tampering. Anyway, so Shad appeared in 17 games for Minnesota the last two seasons. 29 tackles, two tackles for loss. Depth piece, but I know that Ole Miss likes KD Hill, but doesn't view him as anything more than a serviceable defensive 
starting SEC tackle. Maybe you can improve on him there, but I don't know, necessarily know if that's the guy. Jaron Handy makes a lot of sense. Now, it didn't work at Auburn, but in this rotation of defensive linemen, he could help. It just depends on what they prioritize. I think the first thing they'll prioritize is wide receiver. And then, even though they do got numbers, that's the thing. That's what's kind of interesting about this whole thing. I think the only reason why they're really prioritizing wide receiver, and it's got to be the right wide receiver, but the only reason why they're prioritizing it is they didn't have a lot of guys practicing in the spring. And they went, oh, crap. Jonathan Mingo, Braylon Sanders, you name it, they're all out. They're not practicing because of injury. Our depth sucks. Now, it's going to get better because the guys they signed, including J.J. Henry, are going to get on campus in the summer. But for now, they just remember what they saw in the spring with a lot of guys down. So now I get why you're prioritizing that position. Tight end, you've kind of convinced me that you don't necessarily have to do that. But we've heard so many rumors for so long about Trey Berry at Jacksonville State, so maybe that happens. For me, linebacker does make some sense. Defensive line does make some sense. The only position that doesn't make some sense, and it's crazy, is the secondary. That's where they've got numbers. The secondary is where they don't really need help. And that's something that you got to give this staff all the credit in the world because that was a problem area, probably the biggest problem area under Matt Luke. And now it's become inarguably one of the greatest strengths because they've got depth, not just numbers either. It's talented depth. Snap judgment for you. Does this team need a quarterback in the portal? I'm not convinced it doesn't, because here's another thing I was talking about with a friend of mine on Monday. And God forbid this happens. But if Matt Corral were to go down against Louisville, well, the season's upside down. It's done. If not for Jordan Tiamu, Shea Patterson going down would have been the season-ending injury of all season-ending injuries for Ole Miss, but Jordan Tiamu was really good. Are we sure that Kincaid Dent or Luke Altmaier could, and they're not going to produce at Matt Corral's level, but produce to a level that allows Ole Miss to still win enough games to salvage it and have a winning record or at least a record that lets them go to a bowl. And I'm not convinced that either one of them are ready right now to do that. I don't know who you're going to go get because everybody knows that Matt Corral is the starting quarterback, but there's at least a guy out there probably that you can say, okay, yeah, Matt Corral's our guy, but he's gone after this year. You're going to be competing with these two guys, right? Now, the Arch question is going to hang over every single quarterback recruitment out there, but Arch has got offers from everybody. It's not like Ole Miss is just the obvious landing spot for him. So for Ole Miss, you're just like, well, yeah, we're going to recruit him like everybody else is going to recruit him. We don't know if we're going to land him like anybody else knows if they're going to land him. So, yeah, I think quarterback, you can make an easy and obvious case that they need to go after somebody because if Matt Corral, God forbid, anything happened to him, I don't know who you turn to because I don't think either one of those – I think the gap between Matt Corral and the guy that's next, whoever that is, Right now, it's Kincaid Dent. For the long term, it's Luke Altmaier. But the gap between number one to number two is the size of the ocean. It's just massive. Yeah, because I've made the argument many times, and people who read the Clarion Ledger know this. I've made the argument many times Plumley should still be the number two quarterback on this team and should play receiver pretty close to full time because those are two areas that they need an extra body. But of course, you don't have two John Rice Plumleys on your team. I think right now, the bigger need weirdly might be for him to stick it out at quarterback. But then if you have to make him your quarterback, your game plan is completely different than what it was the day before. And you have the same situation you did in 2019, where you're scrapping an entire off season and improvising a new game plan, which uh, maybe that's not the best (laughs) approach to anything, but yeah, I would not be stunned if this team said, let's go find 
a redshirt junior or a senior quarterback who's in the portal, who doesn't really have NFL aspirations, who is a true college quarterback who probably wants to be a coach someday, who can start effectively an apprenticeship as being the number two quarterback slash backup offensive coordinator, uh, backup quarterbacks coach. Go get that guy. Find a guy who wants an apprenticeship under Kiffin and Levy and have him be an extra quarterback in the room if you have the roster spot for it. Yeah, if in the second quarter Matt Corral goes down, I don't think Kincaid Dent goes to quarterback. I think John Rice Plumley goes to quarterback and they just try to run the crap out of the ball. I disagree that he just needs to practice there because the need is greater there. He can practice at wide receiver and be a wide receiver. And then if anything were to happen to Matt Corral, and this is a terrible thing to even consider because, again, if Matt Corral goes down, oh, boy, oh, God, it gets ugly really quickly for Ole Miss football. Um, but for John Rice Plumley, he doesn't really need to have the reps that Matt Corral's getting because the offense is completely different. So, effectively, you're just bringing him in and letting him do what he does well, and then you're completely scrapping what you do every single down or in game prep and you're catering it to John Rice Plumley unless you believe that Kincaid Dent or Luke Altmeyer is the better candidate moving forward. But in a pinch, he doesn't really need to practice at quarterback because for what he does well is completely different from what Matt Corral does well. John Rice Plumley is not going to be pushing the ball down the field vertically with any kind of strong arm strength. Matt Corral, that's his whole deal. He can push the ball down the field, and that's not something that John Rice Plumley can do. Could I interest you at all? Louisiana Tech kicker Jacob Barnes is in the transfer portal. He went 12 for 14 on field goals last year. Didn't miss an extra point. It's been a while for Ole Miss since that hadn't happened. As a redshirt freshman. How about that? Yeah, I mean, they kind of handpicked the kicker they want. They it, did, but he's a freshman. The I'm, I'm just saying he's a freshman. That's all I'm saying. True freshman. Oh, I get it. I do. I, I do. Um, if, I mean, this coaching staff has proven that it's cutthroat enough to pick the guy it wants more. So if they deem the kicker from Louisiana tech is better than the kicker from Louisiana high schools. They'll go for it, but I don't know if they're going to willingly use two scholarships on kickers. Maybe you don't have to get them on scholarship because almost didn't get the Western Kentucky wide receiver on scholarship. True. True. There's a chance we've delayed this too long. The true lead of talk of champions came from Swayze field over the weekend. What, what, What am I hearing? The lead. We're going gorilla. We're taking it to the streets while keeping an eye on the street. The lead brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there. You're just looking to get the best deal anyway, right? So if that's the case and to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, and they'll probably want to talk some Ole Miss baseball, some spring football, whatever it might be, but more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible, that you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Or you can stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Okay, Nick, so Ole Miss had lost four straight SEC series before sweeping South Carolina. Have they course corrected to the point where they should feel comfortable as a potential regional host? I'm nothing if I'm not a 
consistent ideologue, Ben, and you know that about me. So I'm going to pretty much say the exact same thing I said last week, which is anyone who was nervous about this team after four straight series losses probably needed to calm down because this team is better than it's been performing. But it's still a team with some pretty obvious holes. And nothing about this team has changed over the last four days, with the exception of now Tim Elko might be able to hit once every four games. Nothing's changed. This is still pretty much the same team it was before the South Carolina sweep. The only difference is now the math says it's about the ninth or 10th best team in the country instead of saying it's the 14th or 15th best team in the country. And and I think that, yeah, obviously that improves their chance of hosting. Anytime you add three top 25 wins to your resume, you're going to improve your chance. And if I had to put money down right now on something, I would say, yeah, it's probably more likely that Ole Miss hosts than it's doesn't host but I still think that this is a team prone to dry spells and I I don't know what's going to happen against Texas A&M I don't know what's going to happen against Georgia those are two near bottom or bottom of the SEC teams this year that I think Ole Miss should be able to win five or six games probably you would hope minimum four of the six against those two teams but you still don't know because this is a team that all said and done, we've played how many weekends of college baseball this year, 11 or 12, a lot. And they have two real quality weekend wins, uh, the Texas series and the South Carolina series, which are both huge sweeps, but it's still, you're not 100% sold. RPI wise, the Alabama sweep was good too. Sure. Yes. Uh, quality of play wise, you do have to acknowledge that Alabama was without two of its best players. Yeah. I think two of its top starters were out that weekend. Um, but but yes, it, RPI Alabama is valuable. Yeah. But as it pertains to the selection committee, they don't look at that. They just look at the math and the resumes. That's it. Here's the weird thing about it, though. At first, the NCAA said the week of May 10th, they're going to pick their 16 predetermined host sites. And now it's we're going to pick a pool of 20 to pull from. So even then, Ole Miss won't know if it's a regional host or not. My question is, when will it know? Does the SEC baseball tournament, because I thought the SEC baseball tournament this year, it wasn't going to matter. But now, if they're just pulling from this pool of 20, does now the SEC baseball tournament matter again? I don't think the SEC baseball tournament ever stopped mattering to two men. And those men are Mike Bianco and Paul Maneri. So you can expect Ole Miss and LSU to give it their all in the SEC baseball tournament, regardless of the host bids. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm excited for it. I really hope that Hoover is a lengthy stay because I love that tournament and I want to watch as much baseball as I can there. But yeah, I think that the SEC tournament matters for this team unless it can win the Vanderbilt series. If it wins the last four series of the season, counting that South Carolina sweep, I think it's pretty safe. If you take three from South Carolina and then two or three from Vanderbilt. I think there's enough uh, positive wins strung together to end the season that the committee will look fondly upon that. But yeah, I, especially with the the 20 out of 16 wrench, uh, I don't know when this team will know for sure, unless it does steal a game from Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker or both. I love what you said though. There's nothing different about this team from when it was losing four straight SEC series for the first time since 2002, the second season of Mike Bianco. That was the toughest stretch by far of the year. 
And if you went back and looked at all the schedules of the last handful of years, that's probably one of the toughest stretches ever for Ole Miss. And that's not to excuse it, because you still got to win your fair share, and Ole Miss didn't. But they were also in every single game pretty much during that series. There were a few clunkers. But for the most part, they were in every single series, and they had a chance to win every single series. So let's not pretend like Ole Miss was just shit in the bed weekend after weekend. They were still a competitive baseball team, and that competitive baseball team showed up against South Carolina, who they're better than, and swept them. And what gives Ole Miss a chance in every single series that it plays is Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy on Friday and Saturday. Now, Drew McDaniel has not been that stabilizing guy on Sundays, but as long as he's not just completely falling apart on Sundays, Derek Diamond as a bullpen option is becoming a real and important thing and could be critical as far as their long-term viability as a College World Series contender. As long as Derek Diamond is there to pitch the 7th or the 8th or even to back up Drew McDaniel and be the Derek Diamond that was so good last year and was really good in the opening weekend series, then that's a huge piece that Ole Miss could use. Same thing with Jack frickin' Doherty. I mean, he's out there just stuffing it. I think he went 3.2 innings in the finale against South Carolina, which was obviously his season and career high because he was redshirting a month ago. Those two pieces, if you really want to take anything away from this weekend outside of the obvious, which was Tim Elko's really cool moment, the biggest takeaway was I think Ole Miss is starting to figure out what bullpen guys it has the true dudes that it has before it goes to Taylor Broadway. Don't love using Taylor Broadway three days in a row, especially when Jack frickin' Doherty is stuffing it on Saturday in the second game of a doubleheader. Almost said Sunday there because, I don't know. Anyway, Jack Doherty was stuffing. I don't love that, but you're starting to see the guys that are taking the opportunity and running with it. Yeah, I I will once again send people to the Clarion Ledger to please pay for stuff that I write because it puts food on my table. But I wrote about this uh, Monday, which during the losing streak, this team was effectively missing four things. One was production from the bottom of the lineup. Two was consistent power hitting. Three was a one to two inning reliever who could bridge to Broadway. And four was a middle reliever who could eat innings if your starter gets knocked. Working in reverse order, obviously Jack Doherty is the middle reliever this team needed. And he's allowed three base runners and in seven innings of SEC play. And I need to correct you there. Weekend. Need to correct you there. It's Jack frickin' Doherty. Sure. Um, yeah, he's been he's been phenomenal these last two weeks, and he really has righted the ship of this team's bullpen. Then you have the, the setup guys, which it seems like Derek Diamond and Tyler Myers are the two guys that Ole Miss would want right now to be those guys. They've kind of gone away from the Kimbrell Miller Mallets mold, and I think it's made the team a little bit better. Uh, the power production, this team hit, I think, 16 home runs in the first 18 SEC games of the year and has hit 11 in the last six. It's gotten warmer. The wind's blowing out a little bit more in Swayze and they're hitting the ball out more. And that's obviously brought something to the offense. And then bottom of the line of production, I think the refrain that I said, and you said, and probably anyone said the whole year uh, up to this point was you need something more out of Hayden Leatherwood, who's quietly hitting something like 370 since Tim Elko got hurt. And TJ McCants is hitting 393 since Tim Elko got hurt. And you are starting to find those guys at the back end of the lineup who are more than Gonzalez, Graham, Dunhurst. And you can talk as much as you want about lineup construction. I think it's mostly moot in a 50-game season. But it does matter if you have four automatic outs, six to nine, and Ole Miss doesn't have that anymore. 
and they need to move TJ McCants and Hayden Leatherwood up because of the numbers you just cited. I wanted to ask the question, is TJ McCants the greatest Ole Miss baseball player or the greatest baseball player ever created? I, right now, the question of is he the best freshman on Ole Miss has to come to mind. No, 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 no. The best Ole Miss baseball player or the greatest player to ever wear a uniform in baseball, period. So I'm not I'm not avoiding the question. I will tell you a story that you missed on a day that you weren't in the press box this oh, year. Oh, bummer. Which was, which was me turning to the rest of the media about three games into TJ McCants' role as a starter and going, is he better than Gonzalez already? My man. And everyone looked at me and they're like, stop. And they're like, stop talking about that. I was like, but like, just watch. And the, the thing that gets me about McCants is he's one of my favorite types of baseball player in that he makes baseball look really hard. And, and that sounds like an insult, but, but all I mean is like when he swings and misses, it is one of the ugliest things in the world because of how hard he is trying to hit that baseball. Mm -hmm. And when he connects, it's fluid and it's effortless and it looks like how he planned it. But when he misses, he's flat footed and he's going downwards and he's contorting. And it is a work of art to watch this guy swing and miss. Mm -hmm. And he strikes out, a lot. And that's the concern about him. And I bet that's why he's still hitting in the six hole, but he also walks two a lot where he probably belongs, but he walks Again, a lot. I agree. He probably belongs in the two hole right now. And Peyton Chatnier probably belongs in the seven or eight hole. But, uh, I think that he's going to be a three year starter for this team and then probably have a chance at going pro once he's eligible. And I I've been nothing but impressed with this is a team that returned all but two players from the number one team in the country last year. And now we're talking about so many new guys that are going to take them to possibly host. That's impressive. You're picking up what I'm putting down, man. You knew exactly where I was going with this. Okay. TJ McCants is the best hitter on that team right now. So he should be batting second numbers bear it out. Can I give you my dream lineup? Oh, please. Yes. Uh, lead off Kevin Graham, Dunhurst two, Gonzalez three, McCants four, bench five. On base wise, I would put Kevin Graham batting first. He's also not driving in any runs. No, he's you look not. at SEC production. Right. He has nine RBIs. Uh, Chatagnier has more. Graham has, or sorry, Dunhurst has more. Gonzalez has more. McCants has more. He's like eighth on the team in SEC RBIs, hitting from the three hole, which is hard to do. And yes. maybe that's a product of Peyton Chatagnier in front of him because RBIs, as you know, are very circumstantial, but yes. man, you need, he's getting them. He's hitting 340 in sec play. It's not his fault. He's reached he base him on base for people to drive him on. He's reached base in 36 straight games. I think 40 for 42 or something like that. Maybe 41 for 43. I don't know what number we're at at this point. So yeah, I would put Kevin Graham one TJ McCants two. I don't care about lefty righty matchups. Just don't. Because I think I can count on one hand the remaining left-handed starters Ole Miss will face the rest of the year. And there's not a lot of left-handed relief options, dominant left-handed relief options on any team. I think Ole Miss has Jackson Kimbrell and a couple others that you're not necessarily intimidated by. So if you can't hit lefties at this point. So TJ McCants, two. Hayden Leatherwood, three. Dunhurst, four. Gonzo, five. That's where I'd be. I still think Dunhurst is the best hitter on this team. And maybe that's just situational bias. Then uh, hit him second. To get Dunhurst. That's what I said. Oh, okay, I put him sorry, second. Sorry. Okay, sorry. He was number two on my list. I okay. said Graham Dunhurst, Gonzalez, McCants. Okay, okay. Yes. Bench, Leatherwood, Chatagnier, your other two hitters. Justin Bench has no business batting fifth. No business. It's reset. It's resetting the lineup. He's effectively a second leadoff hitter. They are way too left-handed heavy in their lineup. It's hurting them. 
I think Mike would arrange it a little bit differently if they weren't so left-handed heavy. That's I why Chatney continues to bat second. I also just don't think it's really hurting them that much. They're still averaging like eight runs a game in SEC play. They still have the number one offense in the SEC. Yeah, it's they Arkansas. I would still take as an offense, take. but the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. Okay. My ten-year wedding anniversary is the twenty-sixth of June. The wife asked, "Hey Ben, you want to go somewhere to celebrate?" And I was like, "Wait, no. The College World Series is that week, and the Championship Series starts on the twenty-eighth. Should I book the trip or not?" Well, my college roommate's zero-year wedding anniversary is that same date. So I will be wearing a tux standing next to him. Uh, so I'm in the same boat you are, buddy. Way to completely dodge that one. That was well done. That was well done. That was good. He's Nick Suss. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at SpiritBen on Twitter. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Suss. He writes for the Jackson Clary Ledger. I'm Ben Garrett at SpiritBen on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Simply search Talk of Champions. A mailbag with Bradley Sal coming up in the second edition of Talk of Champions this week. Don't know what day that'll be. So that's why I kind of got stuck there for a second. But the second show will be a mailbag with Bradley Sal. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to jump now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to Tim Elko, two-time Team Ole Miss baseball captain, because he had a very special Swayze-filled moment this week. And before we jump to him, see you, buddy. Thanks for filling in. I appreciate you. Anytime, buddy. Going out on the Modern Women phone line to speak to Tim Elko. Before we do, let's hear from B&A Bank and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Oxford, Mississippi is always at its best in the spring and summer. The sun is shining, the square is popping, and you actually now get to go back to Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What could be better? But the only way to truly enjoy everything that Oxford and Ole Miss has to offer is to make sure you're still taking care of yourself, keeping yourself safe, and that you have a pharmacy you know you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down, it's not close. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at cheneyspharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together.
This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Going now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to two-time team captain for Ole Miss Baseball, Tim Elko. Had yourself a Swayze-filled moment over the weekend, man. How you doing? What's up? Oh, man. Uh, crazy moment. Um, you know, one that I'll, that I'll never forget. I mean, just what, being able to walk back out there and have another at bat and having everybody stand up and cheering for me. It's such a great moment. Um, being able to get back out there for my teammates and uh, man, it was awesome. Awesome. Be, be honest. When you saw the standing ovation, did you almost shed a tear? Just a little one pop up? Uh, a little bit. I, I really did. And and mm-hmm. people were asking me, they're like, you know, how 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 the knee feel um, during that and everything. I'm like, man, I, I couldn't even feel my body. So couldn't really feel the knee. You know, it felt good. And, uh, you know, I had so much adrenaline and just kind of like a, an, an eternal buzz just going throughout my body, man. It was It was awesome. I love what uh, Coach Bianco said afterwards when he was talking to us. You got a good swing off, got the barrel to the ball. If you'd have gotten just a little bit more of the barrel on the ball, I mean, you're probably having one of those, the natural, the lights sprinkle out kind of deal. No, yeah. I mean, I I just missed it. And I'm like, I'm walking over the plate and I'm thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to hit a ground ball here. I'm trying to, trying to put something in the air and uh, get, get the people going. So, um, yeah, I mean, I put a good swing on it. I mean, I just missed it. So, but I mean, it, it was just good to get back out there and, um, you know, feel feel good putting a good swing on it. And, um, you know, I think there's there's going to be a lot more of that to come. So, um, I'm excited for it. I don't want you to have to relive a really shitty moment, but the way that it happened, the way you tore your ACL was so bizarre. What happened on that play? I mean, what led to that? Um, yeah, I mean, just, just kind of a crazy play. Um, you know, I just hit a ground ball to second and um you know running running the first and bad throw there and uh you know the kid kind of laid out back behind the base um at first and um so I was kind of trying to cut and go to second to get the extra base and um kind of trying to avoid him at the same time and so when I kind of stepped out and then tried to go back towards second um he just kind of gave out and I mean just a really weird feeling um you know I've never never had anything any, any troubles with my legs or my knees or really anything like that. And, um, just kind of a weird thing. And, um, so yeah, just, just a, just a really weird feeling, but, um, you know, I'm glad that, uh, really being able to cover, um, pretty well here in such a short span of time. Um, it's been great. Did you know immediately? Yeah. I mean, when, when, uh, the trainer and, um, Josh Porter and, um, coach B came out and, um, were talking to me there when I was on the ground. I was like, I was, I was telling them, yeah, I think, I think I dislocated my knee. I think I dislocated my knee because I felt it really shift out and uh, kind of shift back. And that's really what I could, the only thing I could really compare it to because um, I had, I had dislocated my finger in um, the regional in uh, 2019 um, against Clemson when I dove back into the bag at first base and kind of felt what it, what that kind of dislocation felt like. And so I thought, I, you know, I, I'm like, hey, I think I dislocated my knee. Um, and they, you know, kind of were like, eh, I don't know. And so they, they kind of took me off and the doctor, Dr. Crother checked me out in the back and, um, just kind of told me what he thought it was. And then of course, you know, got the MRI, got the news, but yeah, I mean, just, just really weird feeling, just kind of feeling like it shifted out of place. And, um, you know, that was obviously the ACL tearing. So how do you get from that point to what happened on Saturday? How do you get to that place in rehab to where you can actually take an at bat because pretty much everyone else would have gone on the injured yeah. list at this point. Yeah. Um, 
you know, really, I, I've really got to give it all to God. You know, I, I've been praying and had a lot of people praying for me and, you know, for a miraculous healing in my knee. And, um, you know, I, I really feel like he, he's really, um, blessed me with that. And, uh, just that and, um, J bone, um, our, our trainer, Josh Porter, um, helping me to do all kinds of exercises every day and, um, you know, getting back into walking and then a jog and then a, you know, a light run and hitting off the tee and just all those, all those things together. Um, you know, just, just a crazy thing to be able to come back this quick. And I, I really, I really got to give it all back up to God. Uh, I think he's really blessed me with this and, um, just all the stuff that we've been working hard on, um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, it's, it's really crazy how, how quick I could come back from this. What have you been working on in particular? Cause I'm sure that batting practice, just getting the bat through the zone swinging, isn't necessarily the problem. It's probably just, can I run? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, e- even when I just first started hitting off the tee, um, you know, I was really realizing, man, like, like I can do this. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, hitting's really not the problem. I think, I think more of, I mean, not that it's a problem, but you know, the hardest part really is running. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm swinging, you know, I've been hitting BP now for about a week. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously took some light of bats and took an at bat on, um, Saturday and, uh, you know, hitting really feels almost completely normal because, um, you know, I can really twist the hips and get, get the bat through and have, have almost completely normal swing. Um, but yeah, just, just running and, um, obviously the cutting, um, is really the hardest part. Um, and, and, you know, the funny thing is I can, I can really run in a straight line pretty well, um, and, uh, you know, get to first and, uh, but it's really, you know, rounding the bases and going from one to the next is, uh, def- definitely the hardest part. Um, just trying to plant that right leg, um, you know, get around the bases, but, uh, you know, we're working on that and I even did a little bit of that today and, um, you know, just going to keep doing that and working on that and strengthening all the muscles around the knee and, um, you know, just, just keep working on that asset and, you know, hopefully, hopefully get back out there and be able to run. And so I can, uh, hopefully get into like a, just a DH kind of situation. So. Yeah. But for now, is it more or less, let's just take it day by day. Cause I was thinking about this immediately when I heard this, that you were going to try this, you're in your draft eligible year, right? And you have Mm -hmm. a decision here and there's got to be some consideration to my long-term viability, not only as a baseball player, but as a human being with my knee structurally and getting out there and Mm -hmm. being the captain and trying to help your team. I mean, how difficult of a decision was that? And how do you take this day by day, knowing that you being you, you're going to push it a little bit? Yeah. Um, and you know, when I, when I talked to the doctors, when it really first happened, um, you know, they kind of laid out some of the, um, you know, the, some of the risks that could come with me trying to play on it. And, um, in all, in all seriousness, you know, the risks really aren't as bad as people, um, may think, um, you know, there, there's a chance that it could maybe make it a little easier for me to tear my meniscus or, um, you know, just have some of the cartilage in my knee kind of rubbing together could, you know, lead to earlier arthritis. Um, but really that's really the only negative to trying to play on it. And, you know, the doctors were saying like, you know, there, there's some people who can really get it feeling comfortable enough where they feel like they can play and others, you know, where they, they really can't. And, uh, you know, when I, when I heard there was a chance that I could play, you know, I, I was thinking in my mind, you know, I don't care what it takes, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it the best that I got to be able to try to do that. Um, just cause I, you know, I, I just love this team so much and, um, you know, want to help us win a national championship. And, um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, 
at least for these next three, four weeks. Um, Cause that was kind of the time frame they gave us, you know, where it's like, you'll probably be able to tell within three, four weeks, you know, if you can do it or if you can't, and if you need to get surgery, then, um, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, I'm just going to give it a go because, you know, whether I can or can't do it, I might as well give it a shot. You know, I, you know, I want to put on for my teammates and for our university. And um, so, you know, it, it kind of worked out where, you know, now I'm feeling good enough where I feel like I can help us win. And um, so that, that's what I'm going to keep trying to do. It just sucks for you, man, because last year it's all coming together. <laughs> Once in a generation pandemic happens this year, yeah. you're doing it again. You're showing out your draft eligible year and some fluke. I mean, ACL injuries don't happen in baseball, Tim. I, do you, I don't yeah. want to say you're cursed here, but golly, man, you need <laughs> to sleep with a lucky rabbit's foot under your pillow or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know it is, uh, you know, kind of weird and in baseball. Um, but you know, even, even right after it happened, my dad was kind of looking up, um, you know, ACL tears in baseball and everything. And, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot more people than, um, uh, others would think that, you know, that, it, that it's happened to, you know, Kyle Schwarber, Mickey Mantle. I mean, he, he played without an ACL, uh, for, for a lot of years. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys who have, who have had surgery and come back just fine. And, um, so I know it, it it is kind of an odd injury for baseball, but you know it, you know it it, it happened, and just going to deal with it, and uh, you know hopefully be able to help the team the rest of this year. And I know that after surgery, you know I'll be just fine and be able to come back just like normal. Um, but just going to try to do the best that I can this year to help us win some more games. I mean, look, the Mick, he's one of the greatest of all time. Let's try not to play with no ACL, Tim. Okay, <laughs> let's try to avoid that. <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, this year I may have to. So, oh, but then I'll get surgery. I promise, I'll get surgery and I'll I'll be back to normal. Okay. <laughs> well, then you'll have a decision to make because you can come back yeah. next year if you want to. How yep. do you go about <laughs> deliberation of that? I mean, obviously you're going to talk to your family and you're going to consider all things. But when that decision time comes, how do you come to that decision? What all will that deliberative process be like? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's just I think just kind of like for a lot of other people who you know, have, have the draft coming up and, um, still have years of eligibility left. You know, I'm just going to kind of see where all the picks, um, you know, play out and just kind of see what, you know, the talk is about where I could go. And, um, you know, if it's not really what I'm looking for, then, you know, I would hundred, 100% be, um, you know, more than happy to come back and play one more year. Um, obviously for, for such a great university and such great coaches and, you know, we're going to have a, a lot of the same team back and, man, would it be fun to come back for one more year? Um, but, uh, you know, we're just going to kind of wait it out and just kind of see, you know, what, what happens when that time comes around. The thing about you, man, that I love, you never have a bad day. So if anybody <laughs> could suffer such a crappy injury and not allow themselves to get down, it's you. And, and I commend you for that because I don't know if I could do the same. I don't know if a lot of people could do the same. And so how do you just being able to be so – resilient and have that perseverance that I'm not going to allow this to get me down or let me sulk. Cause hell, when I tore my knee in 11th grade, I completely changed my personality. So kudos to you, man. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate that. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've learned so much. Uh, I've learned so much being here for the past four years, just about, you know, mental toughness and, you know, being the same guy every day, no matter what, um, and uh, I've learned so much through our baseball program and, um, you know, it, it, that's really helped me. And 
and honestly too, just, just trusting in God and knowing that he's, he's got a plan, you know, if this is part of the plan and, um, you know, he, he's going to bring something good out of it. Um, you know, I've, I've just been trying to trust that and, and know that, you know, he's got me and, um, just trying to have a positive attitude for the rest of the rest of the guys on the team. And, um, you know, for the rest of the Ole Miss, um, fans and, um, you know, that's really all I can do. You know, you know, you may get dealt some bad cards, but all you can do is just trust that it's going to work for something good. And, um, you know, that's, that's really what I've just tried to do. You can't really say it on the field. You can tip your cap, of course. But if you could have said something to those 8,000 fans that gave you a standing ovation, what would you have said in the moment? Uh, I, I would have just said thank you, guys. Um, you know, thank you for all the prayers. Thank you for um, being here for me and believing in me and, um, you know, being being with me through these hard times. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just so thankful for all those people that come out there every weekend and cheer us on and um you know we we just have I, I believe we have the best fans in the country and um you know you could see that on on saturday um you know someone someone goes down with an injury and, and comes back and you know that's how they treat them it, it's it's just awesome um you know we've got the best fans and i and i would really truly just say thank you um, from the bottom of my heart for all that they do no matter what happens the rest of the way where will that moment rank as far as moments in your career Whew. You know, after we won the national championship this year, uh, I think Uh-oh. it may go to second. But yeah. uh, <laughs> good job, well but, done, uh, man. Man, uh, it, it's definitely going to be up there um, forever and always um, as a top moment in in any part of my life. I really believe. Um, you know, it's just such a cool moment, and so thankful for all the people there, and um, yeah, just just a really cool moment. You're really bullish about y'all making it to Omaha and winning a national championship, huh? <laughs> hey, I mean, you got to have belief. You know? Yeah, duh. Yeah. I've thought from the beginning that, you know, we, we've, we've had a good enough team to make it to Omaha and, um, you know, potentially win a national championship. And, uh, you know, that was that was a big driving factor for me is, you know, I want to I be a part of that and do everything that I can to help us, um, you know, continue to win games. And, you know, it, it's been it, – it was good to see this weekend us put it – put it back together. And, um, you know, we had had a couple of, you know, what some people would say off weekends and, you know, yeah, we, we lost them, but, you know, we played well and, you know, we just, we just kind of got beat and, um, you know, had close games, but, um, you know, nothing to really fret too much about. And, uh, I, I think it was really good for us this weekend to come back and, you know, went, went three and, um, get, get back to where we need to be. Um, so that was, yeah, that was, that was really good for us this weekend. He's Tim Elko, two-time Ole Miss baseball captain. Take care of yourself, my friend. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you, and we'll talk again. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.